Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst. My name is Dave. If you, this is your first time here, I definitely want to welcome you here. If this is your second or third or 500th time here, I want to welcome you. I want to welcome all the people joining us online. I believe there are several states represented. I know that uh, we have Virginia and South Carolina. Hello, folks there. I believe we normally have New Jersey and some other people as well. So thank you for joining us online. Uh, before I get started, I want to give Tim some kudos for singing that first song, Drenched in Love, well. Because, see, it has, it, when, when you're a worship leader, sometimes it gets a little confusing, especially when songs have the same phrases. Like there's the, the love of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And so sometimes it's easy to get those confused. The last time I led that song, I was really into it, and, and, and I kind of got love and blood mixed up. I said, I am washed, I am washed, I am drenched in blood. I mean, love. And, and so, Tim, you did it, man. You did it. You kept them straight. That's awesome. A um, couple things today that are going on. One, this is our sign-up day for community groups. If you are not in a community group, I would like for you to come here after service. This is going to be here. Sign up. We'll get you plugged into a group. Remember, Catalyst uh, um, Vision is for us a two-time slot Sunday morning in a community group. So if you are not in one of those... Please sign up here. Um, all, all it is is your name, your phone number, any children under, under eight years old, and uh, the best night to meet, just tell us that. If you have uh, children in youth ministry on Wednesday night or go to children's ministry on Wednesday night, we can uh, sync that up with you so that you, we can get you in a Wednesday, Wednesday night group. Those kind of things. So that is right here. I'd like for all of you guys, if you're not in community groups, to sign up for one of those. Also on January 31st, that is two Sundays from now, we're having our first starting point of the year. Starting point is where if you have been coming to Catalyst and you'd like to make this your church home, uh, we would like to, uh, to get everybody, if you wanna know about our ministries, know about our theology, know about what we do, uh, what does it mean to be a member of Catalyst, we'd like you to come to that. More information will be available, but that's January 31st, two Sundays from now. If you have uh, joined, or if you've been coming to Catalyst for a year or less, we want you to come and, and check that out. All right, so we are continuing in our series called The Countercultural Marriage. This is part two, and it's simply called, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The main thing today is this successful marriages are built on the successful foundation of commitment. Okay, a successful marriage takes a successful foundation, and that foundation is commitment. In Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15, Joshua was doing his final address to the nation of Israel. He was an old man. He'd led them for a long time, and he was giving them instructions, and he says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, what I found is that we don't find ourselves. There, it's, it's, a, it's a thing when I was in youth ministry, it was kind of sickening. People would come up and say, I, I just need to go find myself. And they always look the same place, Boulder, Colorado. You know, like, somewhere over in Boulder, Colorado is going to be where I find myself. It's, it's, it's crazy. Got an entire generation uh, trying to find themselves. Well, the problem is they never find themselves. In the same way, you will never find your marriage. You won't. Because a marriage is not waiting to be found. 
You're, you are not waiting to be found. You are waiting to be created. And we create ourselves in what we commit ourselves to. And as a matter of fact, I will make the statement, and I believe that I can back this up, that you are the sum total of the things you commit yourself to and nothing else. If you want to know what your life is, you are the sum total of the things and the people you've committed yourselves to. That's your life. In the same way, your marriage is going to be the sum total of its commitment. Your marriage is going to be the total, sum total of the commitment you have to each other and to the Lord. Okay? So we don't find our marriage. We create our marriages and what we commit ourselves to. Your marriage like your life. The sum total of what you commit your marriage to. So Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus tells us these words after his longest sermon, which is 12 minutes long. Jesus' longest recorded sermon is 12 minutes long. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you can read it. Um, at the end of it, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so if we are going to look at the Lord and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we have to make sure that we are committed, that we have a strong foundation. So the question is, is when does marriage begin? We need to understand when does marriage actually start? When does it start? Because if we don't know where that is, the foundation of the house is the first thing you build. You try to build walls and, and the roof before you build a foundation, you're going to crash. So where does marriage start? This is when it starts. Marriage begins when husband and wife commit to each other. Okay? It is when a promise before God is made to each other, a promise made, a promise witnessed, a promise heard, remembered, and trusted. It's not, your marriage does not begin when you start to feel loving. It does not start when you uh, have, I guess, be, fall in love with them. It does not start when you're, you have physical desires for a person. It does not start when you move in together. That is not when your marriage starts. Interestingly enough, couples that move in together before marriage divorce at twice the rate of couples that don't. Well, that makes sense because they started building the walls and the roof before the foundation. So a, a house that, where you try to build the walls and house before you build the foundation is going to crash. And we're seeing that more and more. Okay? The foundation of your marriage begins when you start with promising to each other, committing your lives to each other. That is where marriage starts. And if we don't get that right, we're going to get everything else wrong. Okay? Starts with commitment. And the second thing is that marriage commitment is total and timeless. Everybody say total. Timeless. Time, marriage commitment is total and timeless. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 10, verse eight, uh, 6 through 8. He says this, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Okay, Jesus said marriage is two single people becoming one person. Get that. Because... What I'm going to share with you is probably going to scare you. And maybe what, you, what I'm about to share with you is the source of problems you've been having. Because Jesus said the two will become one. When husband and wife fail to do this, they're in for major trouble. I counseled a couple as having marriage trouble. Just an aside, um, most of the time, upwards of 95% of the time, when couples come to me um, for marriage counseling, 
it's already over. Um, it, it's, it, it's like a stage four uh, plus cancer patient finally going to the doctor and saying, I think there's something wrong with me. And by, and by the time they're, they're in there, you're so eaten up with cancer, there's nothing you can do. Um, that, that's that's a, a lot of times, that's, that's what happens. People wait until it's already over to seek help. And had they sought help earlier, when cancer was in stage one, the doctor says, if, if you'd have come to me, you know, when it was stage one, I could, I could have done something. Or, or it, 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 you know, you've got to take out the weeds when they're little, not when they're taking over your yard. You've got to take them out early. So, um, but, but a couple came to me, see if I could help. And we just started talking, and the, the wife said, uh, uh, something to the effect of them having separate bedrooms in the house, on either end of the house. And I said, hold up, you guys have separate bedrooms? And she said, uh, yes, I, I need my own room, need my own space. And I, I was like, okay, um, that's interesting. I mean, I am I'm, I'm as much of a, you know, you do you, man, uh, you know, as much as anybody else. But remember, they were seeking help. So I was looking at the system that they had developed because your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you've been getting, right? Okay, the way you live has gotten you the results, okay? Um, and and, and the, the talk turned to finances, and, and, and he said, yeah, she pays the water bill, and I pay the electric bill, and, and I pay my part of the rent, she pays her part of the rent. And I, and I said, and, uh, so uh, you guys have separate finances? And, uh, and, and he goes, not just separate finances, separate bank accounts. I can't trust her with money. And of course, that went over like a lead blimp, and they started yelling at each other, and I finally got him calmed down. felt like a referee, not really a counselor. And, uh, and so we just talked some more, and, and they, they told me this, uh, this system. She said that uh, uh, he's supposed to take the kids out to dinner on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday, and I take them to dinner on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, and Sunday we just kind of do our own thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I say, so, I say, so what do you do together? And they just kind of looked at me, and, I, and, and, and I, I said, let's see what Jesus says. And I read them this passage about the two becoming one, one flesh, and, uh, and I said, you guys are not living in marriage. You guys are two single people living on the same roof. You have not moved from being single to being married, okay? And, and they protested that. They, 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 uh, they, they said, no, no, we're, we're married. And I said, well, let me ask you this question. I said, if you were single parents, if the two of you were single parents, what would change? I said, you've got your own rooms, you've got separate bank accounts, you take the kids three days a week, she takes the kid three days a week. I said, what, what would be different if you were single? I said, you don't go on dates, you don't eat together, you don't do finances together, you don't parent together. And you all aren't married. You all are two single people living under the same roof. And you wonder why you're having marriage trouble. I said, let's start with Jesus' words. You'll leave your mother and your father. And that you'll become one flesh. And I said, you all even argue like single people do. See, and I said, in marriage, if you win an argument, you lose. I'm not trying to win an argument. You're not trying to beat them into, your, into submission, into your point of view, so you get your way. That's not what married people do. I said, but that's how you guys argue. And, and I said, you, you argue like single people. You, you parent like single people. You live like single people. You're not married. And, uh, and I said, marriage 
is a total commitment. I looked at him and I said, you, take all of you, 100% of you, everything that makes you up, and you commit that to 100% of what she is. And the two become one person. You start thinking like one person. You merge bedrooms, you merge finances, you merge parenting, you merge everything to be one person. That's how marriage works. And, and I, I said, marriage is not going to work without total commitment like that. And then I found out why they had not totally committed to each other. Both had been divorced before and neither trusted the opposite sex at all. They both started attacking their exes, telling horror stories of, of financial problems and abuse and, and, and terrible stuff. And I realized very sadly that they were not healed from their previous marriage, marriages and that they would not commit totally to each other. They're unwilling to do it. And I told them sadly that there's nothing I could do. I told them might as well go ahead and get divorced. I thought that was, the only, that was the only possible future for them. I said, why wait? Go ahead and do it. There's nothing I can do. And, and they, 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 told me, uh, uh, they told me that they loved each other. They're always going to be together. And I said, you guys aren't willing to do the one thing that is going to make this marriage work. It's like trying to, it's, it's like trying to put together a, a model airplane without glue. You can keep trying. Might as well quit. Um, they didn't like what I said. Um, they, they didn't like what I had to say, and they left. They asked me how I could be a pastor and tell someone to get, to get divorced. I said, I'm not telling you to get divorced. I'm saying that's where you're headed. I'm, it's, it, you, I'm like a, a, telling a pilot where the engines are gone and out of fuel and both wings have fallen off that it's time to bail out because there's no way to save this airplane. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying because it's going to crash. They didn't, like what, they didn't like that. They never came to see me again. They divorced four months later, and she was arrested for domestic violence. You guys, your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you've been getting. If you are living as single people under the same roof, or even part of you is, is, is held back, you have not done what Jesus said. You have not taken the two and become one. Okay? Commitment is total and it's timeless. Commitment is like the foundation of a house. You want it to be strong. You want it to be permanent. You want your entire uh, the entire building built on that foundation, okay? It is total and it is timeless. Trying to build a marriage without total and times commitment. It's like trying to build a skyscraper on a foundation of sand. It's going to fall. It's, it's just a matter of when. And so this, this couple was unwilling to give up their personal space, their personal finances, their personal single, basically their single lives. They thought they could have their cake and eat it too. I can have the, I can have the autonomy of singleness and the benefits of marriage. I can have it all. No, you can't. You can't. They wanted, uh, it's not going to happen. They wanted the benefits of marriage without making the sacrifices of marriage. And I wonder if there are couples out here today that are doing the same thing. You, you want the benefits of marriage, but you're not willing to make the sacrifices of marriage. You're still trying to hold on to a little bit of single life, the, the stuff that you just won't surrender, the stuff that you just won't commit to your spouse. I wonder if that's what's going on. See, sacrifice, you guys, is giving up something you love for something or someone that you love more. Okay? It's giving up what you love for something that you value more, that you love more. That's what it takes. Marriage commitment is total and it's timeless. And when we make a total and timeless commitment to our spouse and to God in marriage, then all of a sudden we can look the world in the face and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right? We stay in our homes and we say the words of Joshua. And there are three practices that form off of that foundation. Once we have the foundation, 
of commitment. There are three things that Christian homes begin to build, begin to do in order to preserve that home, as, in order to shout to this world the glory of God. Okay, the first thing is this, three practices of Christian homes. Once that foundation is laid, is this, we prioritize is building trust. All right, the, the, the number one thing that happens in a Christian home, if you want your marriage to survive and you want your marriage to thrive, is building trust. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord, we're told. Also, we have to build our homes on trust. So how is trust built? It's a, it's a, it's a common word, but how is trust built? I'm glad you asked. We only trust what we consistently see in the other person. That's all we trust is what we consistently see over time. Husbands and wives must work on their own character in order for the other to trust them. So a Christian wife, a Christian husband takes the trust that is placed in them and treasures it and cherishes it and holds it and guards it. The, the, the trust that your husband or your wife has in you is the most precious thing you own. And it's time that we start treating it like it. Okay? Husbands and wives work on their character in order for the other to trust them. Character is from the Hebrew word karaso. Karasso, which is a tool used to etch something in stone. All right? That's what it is a tool. It's to, to make a permanent mark. Your character is your etching. It is what is permanent about you. It doesn't change with your mood, and it doesn't change with circumstances. It doesn't change whether you're feeling good or having a bad day. Your character is etched in you. Okay? And so your character is your etching, is what's constant, consistent about you. Christian husbands and wives must prioritize building trust. Like I said, so many of us don't value that. We take it for granted. When we abuse it, we think it's no big deal. So many of us in homes, you all, if we were honest with ourselves, do things that betray trust. Those things turn the hearts of our spouses against us. I was listening to a marriage podcast the other day. It was very good. And the therapist with more than 30 years of experience was asked what the most toxic thing he's seen. Most toxic thing. He said, if you could boil down, in 30 years of, of, of counseling couples, what's the most toxic thing you've seen? And he thought for a second, and he answered, when the spouses start to see more negative in their spouse than is actually there. He said, when the wife looks at her husband and sees nothing but bad. When the husband looks at his wife and sees nothing but bad. He said, the reason is when what you, what you believe about the person is what you're going to see. It's a psychological phenomenon called confirmation bias. It's a confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. So what you see, what you believe about the person is what you're going to see. So if you believe your spouse to be a bad person, you're only going to see the bad. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Um, uh, many years ago, I wanted a Mustang. I love Mustangs, and I don't want to hear any Ford jokes, okay? Right? I did research on them. I studied them. I, I looked at the... I, I, I loved Mustangs. Guess what car I saw driving around all the time? Mustangs. Exactly. 
because I was looking for them. They were on my mind. I was looking for it. And I had not noticed them before, but when I started studying Mustangs, I saw Mustangs everywhere. That's confirmation bias. The same is true for your spouse. If you believe your spouse to be a, a, a negative person, a, a, a bitter person, you're going to see nothing but bitterness in them. Called confirmation bias. And once confirmation bias sets in, you guys, it's extremely difficult, barring a major work of grace, for it to ever leave. If you believe your spouse to be bad, untrustworthy, that's all you're going to see. You're not going to see him as someone else did. You're going to see more negative than is actually there. Some of you guys might be there right now. Some of you all might be there right now. Therapist said once confirmation bias sets in, once the spouses believe the other to be bad, it's over. He said, barring some miracle, that's all they'll ever see. When does the seeing of your spouse begin to, be, begin to turn bad? You guessed it, when trust has been violated. Okay? Now, the therapist didn't talk about the grace and, of God and the power to heal. Uh, we hope that couples here that are, that are dealing with this, and I know you are, I know you are, allow God to take away the confirmation bias that's set up in your heart, give you a new set of eyes. Let's also hope that everyone will take the necessary actions and build trust so that that never happens. Right? Consistency. It's key to trust. Tell the truth. Be where you're supposed to be. Be with who you say you're going to be with. Don't lie. Be, be just year after year, decade after decade. Never violate the trust that your spouse puts in you if you want a marriage to thrive. The first practice of a Christian household is you prioritize building trust. Second practice is worships together. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right? I saw a Babylon Bee article. It's hysterical. I love the Babylon Bee. This, for you guys who don't know what the Babylon Bee is, it's a Christian satire news uh, site. It's hysterical, okay? And the reason it's so hysterical is because it could be real headlines. Good satire is only that far away from the truth. Well, I saw this. It says the headline was this. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. Fullerton, uh, California. Local father Trevor Mickelson, 48, and his wife Carrie, 45, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter Janie to church every Sunday, they didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which was at least once every three months. She no longer demonstrates a strong quarterly commitment to the faith they raised her with. Now that she is college age, Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from the one tournament in 2011, we've never missed an Easter. It was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where the spiritual apathy is coming from. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, lamented Trevor citing a recently Googled study by Barna or somebody. The Mickelsons further noted plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church after their younger son, Robert's soccer season, calms down a bit. I love it. We are what we repeatedly do. We must continue to worship together as families. According to a Gallup poll, couples that attend church together divorce, interestingly enough, at the same rate as couples that don't. Well, that's a monkey wrench, isn't it? What, what are you talking about? Well, maybe worship together is bigger than attending church together. Uh, couples, however, the same study showed that pray together regularly. 
pray together. Not just sit in church together, but pray together. Their chance of divorce are 1 in 1,152. This is according to Gallup poll done in 1997. That's a divorce rate of less than 1%. A couple that prays together stays together. Yes. Can you believe that a pastor is saying the huge difference between a couple that comes to church together and actually worships God together as a family? Yes, there is. In August 2010, get this, a Journal of Marriage and Family study uh, studied 2,400 couples. Big, big random sample. They evaluated four things. The effect of a couple belonging to the same denomination, they're attending religious services together, shared beliefs and values, and what they did at home in the way of worship activities, uh, including praying and reading the Bible together. Those four things. And the results were stated in terms of marital satisfaction. And as they found, that any couple had any one of these four things reported increased levels of marital satisfaction. However, the surprising part was that the rates of marital satisfaction were highest for those who carried their faith into the home, prayed together, read scripture together, worshiped together. Okay? Researchers stated this. These are couples living their faith out at home with their spouse, not just on Sundays or by themselves. They're reaping the reward of happier marriages that never end in divorce. Wow. When God says marriage is my territory and I will bless it when it's done my way, he wasn't joking. He wasn't joking. So let's make sure, Catalyst Christian Church and those joining us online, let's make sure that we are carrying our faith and our practices into our homes. Let's make sure that we are praying together, that we are reading scripture together, that we are worshiping together, that we are living out our faith as a couple together. Understand, that is how, that's, that's the practice of a Christian home with amazing, amazing results. But the third practice of Christian homes, after prioritizing building trust, worshiping together, is this one. This one's my favorite. And I would love for everyone to have this. Makes God's name great. Unfortunately, Romans 2, 24, the Apostle Paul writes this, as is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Talking to the church. Now they're not living out their faith. So God's name is maligned and blasphemed. The Apostle Paul said the purpose of marriage symbolizes a relationship between God and his people. So basically what, what God is saying, I'm going to set up marriage not so that, that, not so that, so that, that there can be uh, all this other stuff the world says. I'm going to set up marriage so that whenever someone wants to know how I feel towards my people of uh, the humanity, they'll look at husband and wife, okay? Um, uh, how, how, how is this as an object lesson for, for the relationship between God and his people? How God loves the peoples, how the, how, how the husband's supposed to love the wife, how the wife loves the husbands, how people are supposed to love God. That, it's an object lesson. Someone was asked, so how does God relate with humanity? Well, supposed to, well, just go look at husband and, husband and wife. And wow, have we messed that up, haven't we? Bad example. I mean, I was challenged as a newlywed. In about six months of being married, I was challenged as a newlywed to stand in my home and ask God, God, are you pleased with my family? God, are you pleased with my marriage? Are, are, Lord, are you pleased with the way that we interact together? Are you pleased with the words out of my mouth? Are, are you pleased with the love we have for each other? Uh, Lord, does our home make your name look great? 
Does, does the way that we live shout your goodness and your glory? Wow. I don't know if you've ever been challenged that. But I'm challenging you right now. Husbands and wives in here and online. I want you to take each other by the hand if you're sitting next to each other. And I want you to say together, Lord, are you pleased with our marriage? If you're dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, if you're dating, do the same thing. Lord, are you pleased with my dating relationship? If you're single, Lord, are you pleased with my actions towards the opposite sex? Are you pleased through my actions, my marriage, to my dating relationship, does this shout to the world the goodness and the glory of God? Or do people see the opposite? Do people, when they look at us, our homes, do they look at us and say, man, God must be great. I've been over there. Every time I go to their house, I can feel the love. There's something different about that home over there. Something different about it. I can just, I can feel the love the second you set foot in that door, you can just tell something's different. God must be great. Does my marriage, Lord, make your name look great? Or like Paul writes in Romans 2, 24, is God's name blasphemed because of us? I was challenged several years ago by Pastor John Piper. He wrote a, an article called Dad's Date Your Daughter's Boyfriend. And uh, in it, he said that the greatest gift we could give the next generation is the gift of a godly spouse. He said that pop culture caricature of a dad that meets the boyfriend at the door with a shotgun gets a few chuckles and laughs. I mean, those of us that are guys and going to meet the dad for the first time, that's pretty scary, isn't it? It is. And that should be. They should be scared of us. So that's how they got our little girl, right? But in, in reality, what does that do? That doesn't do anything. Our daughters, our sons, will grow up to date and marry. They will. He said that this, you know, Dad, you can either toss a 45 round to the boyfriend and say the next one I send your way is going to be traveling a lot faster. Or... You could do the wise thing and realize that most young men, most young women are not evil. They're stupid. Yeah. You know, when I was a young man, I was stupid. I'm still stupid. I was worse back then. We're all stupid. We're all stupid. And the reason is, you know the reason why we're stupid? is because no one has taught us how to be Christian men and women. I love it when generations criticize the one behind it. I, I love that. By the way, if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, um, I'm a Gen Xer. We got it with both barrels from, from the baby boomers, okay? I, we, 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 I mean, and for good reason. We went from, uh, you know, quiet riot and mullets to nirvana and flannel in like six months, okay? We deserved a lot of that, okay? We did. But, the, but to criticize a generation behind you is basically to admit failure. It's like a coach telling his players that they're terrible. They're like, well, you coached us. 
Okay, so the, to criticize the generation behind you is just an admission of your own failure. Okay, so, so, but, so I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying it's true. Most young men don't know how to be Christian spouses. Most young women don't know how to be Christian spouses. So how in the world are they going to learn? Well, I got a great idea, Christian husbands and wives. Why don't we show them? And Piper, in this, he said, and make sure that whoever your children date are welcome in your home at any time. Invite them over for dinner. Let them eat dinner every single night of the week. Let them see how a Christian man leads his family in prayer around a table. Let them see how a Christian wife um, uh, uh, and, and Christian husband interact together. Let them see the example. Be the example and shout to the next generation the glory and the greatness of God. That's what we need to do. I mean, that, that is how we as Christian homes make the name of God look great, okay? We, we lead homes that shout his goodness and we allow other people to see it. Let them see the example. Bring people into your home. Let them see how a Christian home works and shout the greatness of God from your home. That's what a Christian family does. I love that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to invite the band to come on back up. Maybe when everybody goes home today, maybe this is what we do. Maybe those who join us online, you're already in your house. Maybe you do this right now. Say, Lord, where you have planted me, where you have put me, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a room in your parents' house, whether it's a home you own, whether it's a farm, doesn't matter. Where you have placed me, where you have given me part of your earth, this part that I have authority over, not my neighbors, not the people, I'm not worried about them. Lord, right here, where I have authority, I am planting my flag that we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, as for this plot of land and the people in it, we will serve the Lord. Whether it's in part, like I said, wherever you have authority, your, this piece of your earth, Lord, that, that you've put me in charge of, it's yours. Have at it. We're going to do things your way all the time. And the time that we don't, the time we fall short, we're going to drop down to our knees and, and repent, and we're going to rise up as fully healed in the grace of God, and we're going we're, we're to go do it again. Where I am, Lord, you have free reign. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the only way that you can have that is if you build your home on the solid foundation of commitment. Commitment to God and commitment to each other. You can't have a house without a foundation. You cannot have a marriage without commitment. But as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. I invite you to stand up, make that bold statement in worship right now.